My name's Helen Keane and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Adventures in Space and Tim, a podcast inspired by space generally and Tim Peake's mission to the International Space Station in particular. In this episode... They would remain on the ground. They would be unable to float in space. I talk to Richard Wiseman, Professor of the Public Understanding of Psychology at the University of Hertfordshire, about some of the more unusual experiments that have taken place over the years in space. And what kind of illusion he would plan if he was given access to an astronaut aboard the International Space Station. There's also more from Helen Zaltzman on the mysteries of space words. Check out the previous episode of this podcast for more on that. But this time we discuss the origins of the classical and historically English names for... Well, see if you can guess. It sounds like it should be a euphemism for something. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> but first... 2018 sees the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, which will be the premier observatory of the next decade. According to NASA, it will study every phase in the history of our universe, ranging from the first luminous glows after the Big Bang to the formation of solar systems capable of supporting life on planets like Earth to the evolution of our own solar system. Exciting stuff. I met Gillian Wright, director of the UK Astronomy Technology Centre, and visiting professor at the Institute for Astronomy, University of Edinburgh, to talk about what we can expect to learn in the next few years, and how the telescope will give us new and detailed knowledge, not only about other stars, but also about the planets that may orbit them. I started by asking Gillian about her various astronomical roles. I'm the director of the UK Astronomy Technology Centre here in Edinburgh, and that, I think, is my main interest now. I'm also the PI for something called the Mid-Infrared Instrument on the James Webb Space Telescope. So, and James Webb will be getting launched in 2018. So the other thing I'm very busy doing is preparing for science at JWST. The James Webb Space Telescope is a successor to Hubble, would you say, or is it slightly yes, more complicated? Yes, I, I think it's a scientific successor. Mm. So it will take a slightly different view of the universe. For example, when it's taking pictures, it'll take them in different kinds of light that will in some ways complement what Hubble's done. But that's been done very deliberately because the discoveries we've made with Hubble have led to lots of exciting science questions that we can't answer with Hubble now. And that's really what James Webb is designed to do lot of us who just sort of grew up seeing those wonderful images of Hubble and obviously that, as you said there's a huge amount of science that's come out of it but also just I think the role Hubble played in engaging the public just seeing those beautiful images. James Webb will do that too. Yes. James <laughs> Webb will make really yeah. beautiful images in some cases they'll be even sharper and more detailed than the Hubble ones and they'll show the universe in a different light and mm. so it'll open your eyes to things you've never seen before. I think we've got proof now that exoplanets exist and, and the, one of the key ways that we study them is that we can now measure the tiny, tiny dips in the light of a star when the planet comes between 
the star and the earth and so it's blocking out the light. Tiny fractions of, of the light and we can tell um, from how often that happens you can deduce things about how far away from um, the star the planet is orbiting so you can ask is it in an orbit like that of Mars or Venus or is it in an orbit that's more like a Saturn or a New Neptune? You can often deduce the mass of the planet we know these other solar systems, if you like, are very different from ours. So that in itself opens up lots of questions about how do planets form, what's the process. So James Webb will try and answer and take all of that area of science into new realms. One thing we've done is we've built into all our instruments a special device called a coronagraph. Okay. And a coronagraph can block out the light from the star. So you can think of this as like uh, looking at something bright and shading your eyes so that you can see past the bright thing. So a chronograph can do that with a star, and that will enable us to take pictures of planets. So that's... just a few, but nonetheless, we will get some real actual pictures of planets. So I, I think that that's sort of part of the part of the remit. So you're, you're finding out more and more about these planets. So you're, you're finding ways of, as you say, sort of cutting out the start going, oh yes, the star's wonderful, but if we cut that out of the equation for a moment, that's, we can find out that's right. More. That's right. And we also want to try and get some spectra of the planets to understand better what they're actually made of. And that's going to be by using the same sort of techniques as we use at the moment, but doing it with a spectrograph. So instead of looking for just a dip in the light, we'll be looking for a change in the characteristics of the light. So if when the light dips, it becomes more red or it becomes more blue, that will tell us and help us to distinguish what elements are in the planet and what elements are in the star. Wonderful. And that will just add to, I think, it'll change in fundamental ways what we know about exoplanets. Wow, that's very exciting. <laughs> no, got that bit out. I think it's a golden age for astronomy and for space. We're exploring in ways that when I was growing up you could never have imagined. Absolutely amazing, the rate of technological change. And if we can get more commercial access to space, more easy access to space... I think it would be wonderful for understanding our own planet as well as the rest of the universe. One of the James Webb Space Telescope's goals is to tell us more about galaxies, including some of the most distant. Why do we see such a variety of galaxies? How did they form? But what about the word galaxy itself, I wondered? Where does that come from? Following on from our previous episode, I asked Helen Zaltzman, word nerd extraordinaire from the podcast The Illusionist, about the linguistic origins of the Milky Way, our own galaxy. Galaxy, it, it basically means milky. Milky? Uh, that's the, the lact, like lactation. It's milky. Yes. <laughs> it looks like milk in the sky. Um, yeah, and, so it's literally... Oh, and then it's, ooh, it's, making, it's making the Greek version of milky. Uh, um, and the Milky Way in Middle English was called Milky Circle. <laughs> Which is so mundane, I have to admire it. <laughs> What's that? Ah, oh, it's the Milky Circle. <laughs> BFD. Old native names for it include Jacob's Ladder, the way to St James's, and Watling Street. They're, they're making it quite parochial, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. 
That doesn't really capture the grandeur of, of, no. of what we now know. I suppose they didn't know how far away it was. Maybe we've just got too reverent, Helen. Yeah, maybe we have. But yeah, maybe. But that just sounds like oh, it's, it's up, up Watling Way. You know? <laughs> oh, Watling Street. Watling Street. Tyler. You went up there as well. Round the corner. And the way to St James's sounds like it should be a euphemism for something. <laughs> Almost certainly. Oh, Milky oh, Circle. Milky Circle. <laughs> Edgar Mitchell, the great Apollo astronaut, sadly died last year. Part of his legacy is an interest in what many would consider the fringes and frontiers of science. In his free time on the Apollo 14 mission in 1971, for instance, he conducted his own experiment to see if it was possible to transmit thoughts from space. Communication from space is much more straightforward today. You can now make phone calls from the ISS, though as Tim Peake demonstrated, you can still get the wrong number. I talked to Richard Wiseman, who explained to me the scientific method behind testing extraordinary claims and the various conclusions that can be drawn. You may know Richard's YouTube channel, Quirkology. It has over 2 million subscribers, but he's also a leading psychologist and magician. So who better to talk about magic tricks in space? We talk about the space shuffle as performed by James Randi on Earth and astronaut Dr Ed Liu on board the ISS and consider whether it's time for a new illusion in microgravity. I think we have to contextualise it a bit. So it's, it's a, a card-guessing experiment. So if you were conducting an ESP experiment today, you probably wouldn't do what Mr Mitchell did all those years ago. He was, um, he was uh, uh, conducting a card experiment uh, off the back of Joseph Bank Ryan's research at Duke University. So Joseph Bank, J.B. Ryan, uh, decides to uh, really try and quantify, bring quantification into ESP experiments by producing a set of ESP cards, which were actually created by his colleague, a man called Carl Zenner, who was a, a perceptual psychologist. And he went to Carl Zenner and he said, I want five symbols that people are not going to feel too emotional about. Uh, d- design me five uh, emotionless symbols. And Carl Zenner said, I'll do it under one circumstance. And uh, uh, the one condition, one condition is that my name will not be associated with these cards. <laughs> and ever since then, they've been known as Zenner cards, of course. Uh, so I suspect Carl uh, turns in his grave every time you call them Zenner cards. But it's a pack of um, uh, 25 cards. Uh, with five symbols uh, repeated five times. That's where the 25 come from. Uh, And now I just happen, by chance, to have a deck of them. Uh, So we have a a circle, a star, a uh, a cross, wavy lines, and and a square. Those are the Mm. five symbols. Mm. So I'm going to shuffle up my little deck of 25 cards. We're not going to do 25. We're going to test your psychic ability now. I'm just going to deal five. We'll be here all night with 25. We're five out here now. So I'm going to turn over the first one. Yes. I'm now focusing. I'm now focusing on one of those five uh, symbols. Uh, My question to you is, one is it? Let's test long-distance ESP. Oh, I'm going to go for wavy lines. It is the wavy line. Yes, get You've in, got... keen. Get yeah, in, yes. keen. Okay. Yes. I've now, I've now turned over the second, the second uh, card. What card is it? Star. It's the cross. Oh, okay. Okay, third one here. What is it? Star. Circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth one. Star. It is. <laughs> That's very good. That's good. Final one. Cross. It's the circle. <laughs> Uh, so we did, uh, there's five symbols. We did uh, five trials. The chance you'd expect to get one correct. You've got two correct, uh, which is evidence uh, of, of something. ESP. 
Yes. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, yes. The UK Space Agency will be delighted that inadvertently we've proved ESP is real. So uh, yeah, yes, well, yes. it's you know it's an extra extra feather to your cap, uh, as, uh, as as we scientists would say. Yes. So uh, if uh, let's imagine you got I don't know three or four correct, then mm. we get very excited about that and we do the experiment again and again and again and again, which is what JB Ryan did, and he thought that having done thousands of these card guesses, he thought he got evidence for ESP. And most of his senders and receivers, because they're telepathy experiments, one person, I was the sender there concentrating very, very hard, yes. very hard on the card. Yes. And you were the, the, you were the, uh, um, uh, the receiver, not concentrating uh, very hard I at was all. Extremely, yeah. I was trying yes. very hard, I'll have you know. Yes. 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 Uh, uh, so in most of the experiments conducted at Duke University, uh, the sender and receiver pretty close together, just a few metres apart. What Edgar did, Edgar came along and said, I can send from space and we will see whether I can send telepathic uh, images and messages from space from Apollo 14 to the Earth. And that was his experiment using Rhine's Xenocarts. He found um, uh, uh, four people. Uh, that he referred to as uh, participants down on Earth. So were these random people or were these people known to be particularly, in inverted they, commas, psychic? Well, they, <laughs> this is the thing, right? So uh, Edgar knows them, uh, and they're, they're friends of his, and they chose them because they've already done some experiments on Earth when Edgar was down on Earth, and they seem to have some kind of link between themselves and Edgar. Uh, so that, but the curious thing is, even though they're friends with a psychic link, when it comes to doing the uh, Apollo uh, experiments, which you think, you know, if you're on Earth, you'd make a bit of an effort, um, uh, two of them uh, didn't bother to really take part at all. They, they just Maybe thought, something better came up. You know? I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as uh, so we found the four people, uh, he went up in space. It wasn't an official NASA experiment. He did it in his own time. Uh, so and uh, what he did uh, was to go through 25 uh, cards, essentially, not quite that, but 25 uh, cards, concentrating on them up in the uh, the Apollo thing, as, as I believe it's referred to. And uh, they are the, uh, the thing. And then uh, participants, four of them uh, down on Earth, uh, two of them <laughs> at least uh, concentrating on what was happened, tried to guess. Two of them maybe had eBay bids or something at that point. I, it, yeah, I, I could have been anything. <laughs> it could have been anything. I believe Edgar Mitchell was not particularly deterred by the um, absence of at least half the participants uh, from his experiments. No. So he's intending to do six runs on six days. He's intending to go through 25 cards. Uh, but there's problems up in space. It meant that he could only do runs on four days. So we've lost two of the runs already. Then down and now we've got a problem. And even those four runs are not carried out at the time they're supposed to be carried out uh, because they have uh, procedural problems. Yeah. So what, now you've got this horrendous situation because now you've got four people down on Earth who have tried to, well, at least <laughs> two of them have tried to read Edgar's mind at on six days. Edgar in space only transmitting on four of the days, and when he is transmitting, it's not at the right time. He's about 30 minutes an hour off. So we've got up in space his sort of order of cards that he's transmitting. Uh, down on Earth, we've got four people, two of which uh, went out to Pizza Express for cheap dobles some of the time. The other two did stick with it, but they kind of were, were picking up on uh, at the wrong time, as, uh, as it were. So Edgar lands, and now he's faced with the horrendous problem of trying to take that mass of data and find out whether or not there was extrasensory perception. Mm. 
Um, and he came to what, what might be, for some people, having heard your story there, a slightly surprising conclusion, I believe, didn't he? Well, so in the paper, he, he, it, is, it is a problem. It's, it's, what do you do with that? So he gives it to some parapsychologists and they analyse it and go, oh, there's nothing here. Uh, I, so anyway, so he comes back to Earth. He tries to, to work out what his results are. He gives them to some uh, psychologists. They go, there's nothing going on. He analyses them and thinks that actually what is happening is statistically significant but but is evidence of what's called psi missing, where psi is the uh, sort of all-encompassing term for psychic ability, and missing uh, is the word for something missing, uh, where he thinks that he, just, he scored below chance, significantly below chance, not above it, which is a bit of a strange uh, idea, but it's the idea that you're sort of anti-psychic, that you are significantly getting it wrong more often than you should. And and so that's where it sat for all the years, with, with some people saying there's nothing going on, it's too messy, the results are too difficult, and, and Edgar going, no, actually we did prove something, albeit the psychic ability, or, or rather the anti-psychic ability, people <laughs> actively not being psychic. So, so you can see that, that as soon as there's a bit of ambiguity in, in how you should compare the results, then, uh, then your beliefs can come flooding in and uh, influence things. Uh, in, in, in terms of ESP experiments, I don't think there's been another one at all. And that has been quite a while. So it's 1971, so it's quite a few years. Although, to be fair, there's not that, been that many openings. Uh, there has, of course, been a magic trick uh, in space. A card trick, and a very good card trick. Uh, which was, this was carried out by a, a friend of mine, uh, James Randi. And Randi uh, did an experiment in 2003 with uh, Ed Liu, who's uh, another astronaut. But uh, Randi gave Ed a deck of cards, and he took that into space. And then at some point during the mission, uh, Randi down on Earth instructed Ed to take the deck, uh, to shuffle the deck, which is surprisingly difficult. Uh, but uh, Ed managed to mix them up very professionally. And then he took one of the cards and turned it. He put the cards behind his back. He then took a random card out, turned it around and put it back into the deck. And so now there's one card reversed in the deck. And down on Earth, Randy did the same thing. And then Ed uh, carefully went through his deck and revealed uh, that uh, one of the cards was, uh, was reversed. And when Randy went through his deck, the same card uh, was reversed in Randy's deck. So it's a, a kind of coincidence effect. Uh, bizarrely uh, more impressive than Edgar Mitchell's uh, genuine experiment. And in the card, I think, was a seven of diamonds. Is that right, I think? Uh, that may have been I correct. I think Randy actually asks him, and he brings, I think they have to obviously pay loads in space are quite a big deal, so he has to jettison the entire pack of cards, but he keeps, I think, the seven of diamonds and brings it back for Randy, which is... Oh, very nice. Yes, which nice. is nice. Yes. I have found many card tricks where people have felt the need to jettison the cards <laughs> afterwards, uh, so I, I know how that feels. You are known for your YouTube illusion, uh, which all of which, as far as I'm aware, have occurred on Earth so far. But as were far you, as far as you know, were you to be in space or indeed to have access to an astronaut in space, for instance, our very own Tim Peake, uh, what would you have an illusion that you would particularly like to uh, carry out? Well, for years, in fact, I'm looking up on my office wall and seeing uh, a magician from the turn of the last century uh, performing a levitation. And, and this is what magicians do. They get on stage, uh, normally a woman, and uh, they, they, they levitate them and, and they appear to float. Now, of course, in space... It's, it's not quite as impressive, is it? So I think I, I would be the first person to perform grounded, which is that in, instead of the person floating up, they would remain uh, on the ground. 
they would be unable to float in space. I would place a hoop around them to show there was nothing holding them to the ground, even though uh, they, they were technically grounded. So I think it'd be the opposite of a, of a levitation. Uh, Richard Wiseman's grounded. Adventures in Space and Tim is made in association with the UK Space Agency and the International Centre for Life in Newcastle. The theme music is Modular Space by Martin Molin from the band Wintergarten. This podcast was presented, produced and edited by Helen Keane. Thank you for listening. A Wolf Tea Production. I have met Edgar Mitchell. And yes, yes. I sat next to him at a meal. And I said, how far's the buffer? He said, it's, it's only a short distance over there. I said, a short distance for you uh, <laughs> is, is nothing. I mean, it could be like a mile walk for me. Uh, anyway, I sat next to him and um, we chatted easily mm-hmm. really? uh, over the dough balls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. A card trick, yes. A card trick, and a yes. very good card trick. Yes. Was, this was carried out by a, a friend of mine, uh, James Randy, uh, who I've also met. Uh, so I've met mm-hmm. uh, both Ed, Edgar Mitchell. Were they, and, was it the same Pizza Express or was it? Yeah. It was one hell of mm, a Pizza Express. It must have been, yeah, uh, there, yeah. was a, there was a two for one yes. offer. Uh, Everyone was there. Everyone. <laughs> there was uh, myself. Uh, there was Neil Armstrong. Whoa. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, he said it's one small crust. Uh, for mankind, no, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, it's not good. Um, Neil Armstrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>